Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you decide to step up to this kind of power, this kind of challenge, this kind of flying, crashing, feeling, when you decide to get serious, there's only one place to come, the games of Super Nintendo. No one else creates this kind of experience because no one else creates these kinds of games. Now you're playing with power, superpower. Kindest sir, tis rumored you fought in King Richard's crusade with my beloved son, Robin. I fear you have returned home to desperate times when dark forces plot against our absent king. I am anxious for word of my son. Were you present at his capture near Jerusalem? Do you know the name of the potentate who holds him? Does he still bear me ill will? A little news, please, sir. I would give all that I own for his release. Take my Gwen, my daughter. Who has taken her? Men on horses. Locksley? The king shall hear of this! Join us. Never. Join us. Or die. Azim the Great One! I am home! Robin, is that you? What did this do, Duncan? Guy, Guy of the sheriff of this witch. I will not rest until my father's avenged. These years have left us many in need. While you and my brother were off playing boy heroes, Nottingham has plundered the shire. Who are you? John Little. When I killed the sheriff's man. You are nothing like us. Your souls do not shed blood in the house of God! Who started a war? We're already at war. And I say we strike back at the very man who takes our home.
This gargoyle's been creeping around since at least 1700. Not possible. We have been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty good place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture, strips it bare, and reveals the real history behind it all. This time round, we're looking at Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which means, of course, we have to look at Richard the Lionheart, the Third Crusade, and Hollywood's understanding of geography. So, if you haven't seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, it came out in the early 1990s, and it's... I think, safe to say, a guilty pleasure now, more than 20 years later, but back then it was a big Hollywood hit, starring Kevin Costner, and having that song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, and I was, I believe, in university when this came out, and that particular song was number one for 19 weeks. Now, to be clear, Back in the 1990s, it was not unusual for a really big hit song to perhaps be number one for four weeks in a row. You'd, you'd kind of have a, a month cycle of big, big hits. Occasionally you'd get like a number one week after week, but there seemed to be big numbers that stuck there for a while. This, of course, is now... I guess almost as historical as talking about something like Robin Hood. It's just not the way people consume music nowadays. And, you know, pretty much from the 1950s until the early 2000s, people cared about what the number one hit was. And everybody kind of knew what the, the big acts of the age were. Whereas today, because of Spotify and just generally streaming of, of music, while the really big modern acts are well known, everything's broken up. There will never be, if you like, another Beatles, because you're never going to get the majority of youth listening to your music. There's just too much choice nowadays. So, Going back to the 1990s, I guess it wasn't unusual having somebody sitting at the top of the charts for week after week. But I do remember, you know, maybe let's say six weeks into this run, where I was thinking, OK, look, I like this song when it first came out, and I'm sure everybody else did. That's why it's number one. But after six weeks, surely by now, everybody who liked the song has bought the song. And boy, did I not realise I was in for quite the ride as month after month uh, moved on and it was still sitting there at number one. It's actually quite a good song. And I think, you know, you, you move on 
to today and it hasn't had anything like the saturation when it first came out but its video was very exciting it was a great way to promote the movie and Kevin Costner at that time was at the height of his powers Kevin Costner is an unusual actor in the sense that he's made some genuinely amazing classic movies and he's made an awful lot of dross as well and it but what makes him unusual is his classics have kind of been forgotten so I would absolutely recommend and indeed maybe I will go back at some point and do videos on the highly entertaining but I guess just as historically inaccurate Untouchables amazing film Oscar winning film uh, actually, again, with Sean Connery in it and uh, and Kevin Costner, although he's in it substantially more in The Untouchables. Then there's Dances with Wolves as well, a absolutely remarkable movie. Um, far more historically accurate and far more earnest as well a movie. Hi, you know, if, again, it's a film that was a huge hit at the time, um, won a bunch of Oscars as well but has kind of been forgotten. It's not tends to be, it doesn't tend to be discussed as one of the top films of the, uh, you know, of, of the last 25 years or something like that. And yet, if you sit down and watch it again, you'll sit there and go, wow, this is a really classy film. However, onwards and upwards with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And the opening, let's start with the opening, shall we? There's some really euphoric, sort of classical music being played right at the beginning. And some of that uh, fanfare is actually still used by, by Disney. It's, uh, it's a great piece of music, and the visuals going over it, as they show you who the producer is and director and blah, 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 is stirring images of the Bayer Tapestry which is really weird because the Bayer Tapestry is depicting events of the 1060s this film is based in the 1190s so many generations later uh, over a century later and the events of 1066 in particular have quite literally nothing to do with this movie and later on in the film you see them making the Bayer tapestry about a hundred years after it was actually made uh, for the record it's not actually a tapestry uh, it's actually uh, cross-stitching onto cloth that's not a tapestry and it seems to be made in in Britain and not Bayer. But apart from that, the Bayer Tapestry is a great name for it. It is, however, one of the most uh, famous pieces of uh, visual history that you get from the 11th century. But again, a little bit confusing as to why that's in this film. And that happens again and again in this movie. It's just, if it looks old, well, Hollywood seems to be happy enough with that. Also, there seems to be two different movies going on in the film. You've got the Robin Hood Kevin Costner role sort of playing it fairly straight he seems to be in a sort of serious action adventure movie whereas Alan Rickman as the Sheriff of Nottingham seems to be in a completely different and far more fun film uh, ha absolutely hamming it up as the Sheriff of Nottingham and indeed a lot of the British actors seem to be far sillier knowing that this is schlocky pulp compared to some of the Americans which seem to be they seem to be thinking that they're making a better film than they actually are. Oh. Anyway, after the opening with the Bayer Tapestry, you then get a couple of 
pages of text talking about the Third Crusade and how 800 years ago, and that's pretty much spot on uh, from, from the time, uh, how men went across uh, to, to fight in the Third Great Crusade. It's interesting that you would not use that language post 9-11, but in those days it was seen as a good, ex exciting start to a movie. And then you see a card saying Jerusalem 1194. That's a problem because the Third Crusade ended in 1192. And this is where, with this particular one, it's, it's worth running through the overarching strategy of the Third Crusade. So Saladin had managed to fight or, or uh, win a massive victory at the Battle of Hattin and... After that, he just rolled back the Crusader Western Christian forces, call them what you will, till they were all basically concentrated in one city. Let's not get too het up onto this. So the, they were almost pushed back into the ocean. And really what the Third Crusade was about was reclaiming many of these lands and obviously trying to reclaim Jerusalem, which was seen as almost heaven on earth, the absolute epicenter of Christianity and quite rightfully Christian, far more complicated than that. But that was the basic tone of the Third Crusade. So the Third Crusade was, uh, well, it was led by three great rulers of uh, of Europe, there was the French king, Philip Augustus, uh, there was um, there was the king of England, Richard Lionheart, and there was the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick Barbarossa. Except Frederick, he was meant to be the main leader. Uh, he had an army of, it was said at the time of 100,000. Now, probably wasn't quite as big as that, but clearly he had the biggest of the three armies. Unfortunately, he took the old-fashioned route of, rather than going by sea, which is what Richard did, he actually marched across land on horseback, and he was quite an old man by now. He was, he'd actually been at the Second Crusade and was very much determined to sort of wipe the stain of the failure of the Second Crusade away, and he very seriously prepared for this campaign. Unfortunately, his horse slipped in a river in uh, in modern-day Turkey, in Anatolia, and uh, he fell into the river and died. And so, at which point, uh, all these people from the German principalities didn't quite know what to do. A few of them made it to the Middle East and sort of linked up with the, uh, the French and English. But the vast majority of this colossal army went home, at which point... The Third Crusade's manpower was severely reduced and couldn't possibly achieve everything it was setting out to do. However, largely under Richard, because the French king, um, about halfway through the Crusade, just sort of gave up and went home. Once he went, the clock, of course, started ticking on Richard Lionheart having to go home as well, because... He owned a large chunk of France, and it was probably obvious that the French king was going to start nicking some of that back again while he was in, busy in the Middle East. So Richard had a, a sell-by date on the Third Crusade, but he did manage to recapture a number of key cities, key coastal fortifications, and beat Saladin in a number of battles, and managed to recreate a, a healthy reimagining of the Crusader states. And indeed, 
he marched towards Jerusalem but was put off by the locals. In essence, they said, yeah, you probably could recapture it just about with what you've got. And you are obviously a great military leader. And he was, to be fair. You know, he was a terrible king of England, but Richard the Lionheart was born to fight and he knew how to do that. But the thing was, they said, you can capture it. We're not going to have the manpower to defend it. So pretty much as soon as you leave, Jerusalem will fall again. And therefore, is it worth all this sort of bloodshed? And so uh, Richard failed in, if you like, the, the primary goal, the, the sexiest or most holy goal of the Third Crusade in terms of recapturing Jerusalem. But in pretty much every other aspect, for what the manpower he had available, he did a brilliant, brilliant job. The reason why this is all worth mentioning with uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is because all this is finished by 1192. And as I've just said, it was actually quite successful. It may not have achieved all its goals, but there was no humiliating defeat for the Crusaders. And therefore, to have <laughs> Robin in, in a Muslim cell in Jerusalem in 1194, two years after the end of the Third Crusade, that doesn't make him a hero. That makes him a bit of an incompetent. How he managed to get captured in the Third Crusade is never made clear in this movie and also doesn't really stack up against the history either. And he's locked up with, well, he's referred to as a Moor and uh, there were black Moors, but... Quite frankly, what are Moors doing in the Middle East and why he's hanging with a crusader in Jerusalem in a Muslim jail? None of this really is ever explained or made sense of. But Azim, uh, played by Morgan Freeman, and Morgan Freeman, if you ever want a little bit of class, stick Morgan Freeman in there. Uh, he can make even the worst movie ever. And uh, a lot of people don't realise that the classic movie Ben-Hur, starring Charlton Heston, which, for the record, was technically already a remake of a silent version of Ben-Hur. But anyway, uh, in the uh, late 2000s, I think it's 2015, there was... Another remake of Ben-Hur, which pretty much literally nobody went to see, but Morgan Freeman's in it, in this amazingly white, dreadlocked wig. Um, and even he can make those scenes bearable. So, look, I have no problem whatsoever with Morgan Freeman being in this movie, but he's... He's a problematic character in the sense that, OK, great, at least at least it, he's not white. You know, at least this isn't whitewashing a character. But why there needs to be a, a black man rather than somebody of Arab ancestry playing the Muslim guy? Don't know, really. And he... Morgan Freeman is clearly neither Muslim nor knows anything about medieval history, but that's okay because it seems that pretty much everybody on the film didn't know anything about uh, 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 medieval history. So they then escape from a jail in Jerusalem and then next appear at the White Cliffs of Dover. Now, that is a journey of about a thousand miles across huge swathes of enemy territory that's a movie. That's a really exciting movie that we don't actually see. And it it was a dangerous journey. It is worth remembering that Richard the Lionheart 
on the way back decided not to take ships back to England, but decided to take the, the longer journey by travelling on foot, well, I mean, with horses, but basically by land, from the Holy Land all the way through Anatolia into Europe and then on into eventually his lands in, in France. And yet he got caught. And again, I go into more depth about that in the Assassin's Creed podcast, but it does show you that there were bandits and, you know, it, it was not a particularly fast way to travel as well. It was slow and dangerous and full of pitfalls. And that's just once you're into allegedly friendly territory, actually breaking through Jerusalem and then on into the, the sort of Holy Land, that would have been incredibly hard for for. Uh, Robin and Azim to do but that's completely glossed over the, we now come to geography so to be fair the White Cliffs of Dover might well have been the first place somebody landed at in England he then declares that they will be in Nottingham by nightfall Nottingham is about 170 miles away from Dover and that's a hard day's journey in a modern car on motorways or freeways if you're American, um, or, or even using the train system. In medieval era, not a chance. But it's then made comical because the next scene, he's at Hadrian's Wall. Again, if you've listened to one of the other podcasts when it was uh, it was all about Game of Thrones, we talk about how Hadrian's Wall was at the pretty much the top of Roman Britain. So... Nottingham is not at the top of Roman Britain. Nottingham is kind of a central location in the in England, and therefore, and and this is absolutely true. <laughs> um, Robin Hood has overshot Nottingham by over a hundred miles just to get that shot by Hadrian's Wall, which makes Robin Hood an absolutely terrible guide. You 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 don't tend to get things wrong by about. 90% in terms of distance uh, overshooting your home air area that you know so well. So that, okay, fine, whatever, Hollywood, let's move on. But you also get early on in the, in the movie, some sort of, uh, uh, sort of flashbacks and sort of what's been going on where Robin's not been around. And you find out that Robin's dad is Brian Blessed. Now, <laughs> There is no way on God's earth in terms of genetics that Brian Blessed would ever have been able to sire such a profound disappointment to uh, Robin of Loxley or Kevin Costner. I'm sorry, Kevin, you, you, there's no way you could be the child of Brian Blessed. You're not nearly loud enough or, uh, yeah, anyway, I think you just get that one. However, again, being Mr. History with my hat on for a moment, the scenes of the ruined castle are particularly weird because uh, we're talking about the 1190s here, and yet the Gothic-style uh, ruins behind him are clearly from a couple of centuries later, and yet they're already in ruin. So that's really impressive. I mean, that's almost Doctor Who levels amounts of uh, time travel weirdness going on there. You can see that this whole film, if you start putting a history hat on, is uh, a bit of a mess, to, to be honest. But if you want to just follow it for its sort of jolly fun, 
there's loads to be had. And actually, there was a bit of a debate about exactly what tone they would go for in the movie. Uh, as I said, you know, there, there seems to be two different films going on here. And there was an attempt to make it uh, a more uh, a more serious Robin Hood. Uh, and indeed, there is the uh, Russell Crowe Robin Hood that came out uh, probably about... 10, 15 years later, which was a far more serious look at the origins of something like Robin Hood. Um, but that didn't do particularly well in the box office. This far more child-friendly one, and it's so child-friendly, I remember this as a kid, and I was completely confused by this, that I, I, it stuck in my mind, and I had to sort of check this as an adult, and it's true, that you could buy action figures from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and they had an entire kind of treehouse base but the thing about the treehouse base is it looked really familiar. And that's because it was. It was the treehouse playset of the Ewoks from Return of the Jedi, which was less than 10 years earlier. You know, in terms of the models and molds and things like that, they were probably only about seven years old when they decided to repurpose the Ewok treehouse and turn it into the Robin Hood tree base for Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. There you go. Uh, an additional fact there you probably didn't know. But um, as I said earlier, the character of uh, Azim, the, the Muslim, is problematic. Uh, you can argue whether it's racist or culturally insensitive, but there are some, some clangers there, both historical and also religious, because the way he prays as a Muslim is wrong. He also asks, which direction is east? Muslims don't pray east, they pray towards Mecca. So that's what he needs to know. And also, there is no way asking Robin Hood Robin Hood would know which Duray, the Qibla, the, which is the specific point in the uh, in Mecca that he would need to pray to. For the record, in England, it's roughly southeast. But the thing there is that, as I said, Muslims pray towards Mecca. What's interesting is the very, very first Muslims actually prayed towards Jerusalem. But either way, the, and, and clearly by the 12th century, everybody, if you're Muslim, was praying towards Mecca. That, that the, the other thing was right right at the very beginning of Islam. Uh, but it does show you that it was always praying towards a specific religious point and not towards a generic point on the compass. And I am aware that when they were making the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, it was before the era of easy access to the internet. But come on, maybe you could have perhaps asked one Muslim something about their religion. So anyway, there's that. Also, uh, Azim brings with him gunpowder, black powder, as it's referred to. Um, that's a few generations too soon. Uh, and really, the uh, it was the Mongols starting to fight the, the Muslims uh, in the much later period of the Crusades, in the 1240s. That's when we start getting to see... Uh, black powder starting to be used but certainly even in those very early days it would have been a very carefully kept secret it's not something that Azim would have had access to and certainly he wouldn't have known about it 50 years before its introduction to the the Middle East there you go there's a there's a little bit of history there for you the the other thing and they this I am going to go into in more depth and I'm sure I'm going to do it at some point uh one about Braveheart but the Sheriff of Nottingham brings in some mercenaries, these Celts, and they seem to have been dragged in from a completely different era. Uh, the Celts are clearly sort of Celt Celts, as in sort of Roman era Celts. And this is the 12th century, guys. So 
no, that, 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 that's off by, I mean, close to a thousand years uh, at this point. So don't know where they dug them up from. And I guess we need to talk a bit about the, the Sheriff of Nottingham. Now, the, the whole story of Robin Hood, uh, I'll come on to that in a moment, um, and a little bit of funny background for, for Robin Hood and my slight unease of doing this whole podcast. But anyway, sheriffs comes from the term Shire Reeve. They were administrative and legal representatives. What happened in the Middle Ages is pretty much the whole of Europe was feudal. You had the king at the top of a pyramid of hierarchy and land ownership. And basically, let's keep this simple, the king owned all the land. So if you were a baron or an earl or, or a count or a duke or something like that, and you had, let's say, Buckinghamshire, it wasn't technically yours. You owed the king military service for your land. So what did the king want? He wanted you to turn up with knights. So we now start seeing the feudal layers here. King at the top, then you got the aristocracy, the landed gentry, but they needed to put onto their lands knights. And basically you keep going down and down and down and you get to, don't make no mistake, feudal society had a government. Obviously it wasn't as complex as a modern democracy and government, but you needed people to get the taxes in and, and organize of uh, local grievances and things like that and that's what a sheriff did sheriffs were not in and of themselves evil there were instances of corrupt ones and you know corruption exists today as well so this idea of this person in charge of a smallish area of land making sure that basically peace and governance were happening that's what a sheriff was all about, and is why it was used as a name again, centuries later on a different continent, where we get sheriffs in the Wild West, because they were, if you like, the government, the local governmental representative. Of course, there, they were absolutely about law and order, rather than so perhaps some of the other areas of government, but that's in essence what a sh sheriff was, a shire reeve was, in the Middle Ages. Why exactly we have a horrifically bad one who's all-powerful? Well, that's just to make a good story. So let's go into a little bit about Robin Hood the legend rather than this specifically the movie. The thing is, and the very first person I banned on my Facebook page, which is called History Gems, the very first person I banned on that, you, you don't know what you're going to say that might possibly offend. Obviously, if you're going to go into the realms of religion, you have to be careful. You obviously don't want to start using rude language and things like that. But the very first person I banned was somebody who got so angry with me about having the audacity to say that Robin Hood wasn't real. Well, the very first stories about Robin Hood come from the time and sort of reference the era of Edward I, King of England, who is about 90 years after the whole... Richard the Lionheart and Prince John era, okay? So, the other thing is, there are documentations of people called Robin Hood or, you know, Robin of the Hood, and, and sometimes you use names like that for outlaws. Now, outlaw 
means what it says. You are outside the law. You have decided to live on the fringes of society. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bandit or a robber or anything like that. And indeed, as I said earlier, the whole of feudal society, a little bit more complicated because whereas the king's the top of the pyramid, and this, this is what led to a huge argument over many centuries, you've also got the church. And the church owns its own lands and doesn't give taxes to the king. And when you die, you might give some of your lands to the church. But if they're technically the king's lands, can you do that? You can see the problem here. But talking about the church in the Middle Ages, you might think, oh, a few churches, a few abbeys or monasteries. The church, after the king, was the single largest landowner in pretty much the whole of Europe. It was hugely powerful. People took their religion very seriously. And the people who worked around these monasteries and great religious complexes weren't all monks. There were lay brothers as well. These are normal men and women who, in theory, should fall under church canon law and not the law of the land. So the sheriff would have difficulty dealing with them. So... You know, and always church law was more lenient. You know, you could have your ha hand cut off for theft or you could do a few Hail Marys or the equivalent thereof in the Middle Ages if you went to a canon court because they couldn't carry out capital punishment or things like that. So or corporal punishment. So the point is, there is church law. And then there were instances of outlaws of people who were basically cast out of society who could accept, who could expect, I mean, no kind of forgiveness forgiveness or aid or succor from society but they were outlaws and there were guys running around Nottingham Forest doing sort of outlawry type things a bit like Robin Hood but the, the you know, this is a little bit like King Arthur and again time for another podcast on that one was there a bandit in the 1190s who might have had the name Robin who perhaps did some poaching, might have have ripped off a few uh, a few merchants on their journeys. Yeah, yeah, there was, okay? We can say that that was not only highly likely, um, but there is some vague evidence of that. But is that the same thing as Robin Hood with Maid Marian, steal from the rich, give to the poor, all this kind of stuff, you know, fry a tuck? No, no, that's all legend. And if you want to sort of strip it all away, you're not left with Robin Hood, you're left with the story of poachers and outlaws across the whole of England. So, yeah, it is a legend. It's a great legend. It tells you a little bit about something of the society of the time. People didn't like paying taxes. And this is the thing, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on taxation. It's That's never a great thing in a podcast. But um, this idea of these onerous taxes that people hated at this time is true. Going back to the Third Crusade, Crusades were fabulously expensive. And so what Richard did to prepare his country for the Crusade is he was allowed to raise an extra tax, which became known as the Saladin Tithe. It was hugely expensive, but it paid for his trip to the Middle East. And indeed, Richard was a profligate spender. Uh, as I said already, he was a terrible king of England, and one of the re reasons was he spent inordinate amounts of money about military equipment. Uh, his One of the best designed castles of that era is Chateau Gaillard, which means kind of the saucy castle, uh, in northern France, which 
Richard had built in the space of three years. And for two out of three of those years, the entire kingly revenues, the entire royal resources were spent on that castle. Two out of three years. So you may have a problem with your government spending, but could you imagine your government saying, look, for the next two out of three years, we're only spending tax revenues on stealth bombers. There would be revolution. There'd be outcry. So, and Richard famously said he would happily sell London if only he could find a buyer. So Richard basically used England as a cash cow for his own personal military campaigns. That is why England was under burden. And then added to that, of course, as I've already mentioned, Richard got captured on his way back from the Third Crusade. And quite literally, England had to pay a king's ransom to get him back again, which also meant to a raising of taxes, which wasn't done by Prince John. Prince John was not regent while, while Richard was out of the country. That was actually by their mum, Eleanor of Aquitaine. So you've actually got this remarkably powerful woman who uh, went on the Second Crusade, actually. So she she's quite the feisty lady. I'm trying to shoehorn her into this uh, podcast. is very, very difficult um, because we, we need to stick with Robin Hood. But all this taxation stuff had to do with Richard's choices, nothing to do with evil Prince John. We got the Sheriff of Nottingham, who was not necessarily a bad guy and seems to be way more powerful than he actually is. But Alan Rickman was uh, only did it if he he said if he was given sort of carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to. An awful lot of his, well, some of his scenes were actually cut because Kevin Costner realized he was stealing the movie. A lot of his stuff, like the, the famous one about cancel Christmas, the, that was completely made up on the spot. And the remarkable thing that's worth remembering about Alan Rickman is he'd only been doing movies for three or four years this is perhaps the best fact you're going to get in this entire podcast the very first role alan rickman played in a movie was the bad guy in die hard hans gruber was his first ever cinematic role now, that's not the same thing as saying that's his first ever acting role that would be silly he obviously like a lot of brits had spent a lot of time uh, on um treading the boards as it were so he was an established actor but what a screen debut and because of that hollywood knew that he would play an excellent bad guy in robin hood and therefore he was kind of given carte blanche but a lot of it seems to have ended up on the cutting room floor just uh, one last little bit uh, the thing i can't stand in in historical movies or in any movie is when their internal logic goes so maid marion when we first meet her has a huge fight with uh, robin hood and she seems to ha be an expert swordsman, which is impressive because women were just not taught that stuff. But more importantly, she seems to know martial arts. She seems to be part ninja. Where she learned that from in medieval England, who knows? That's ridiculous, okay? Um, but the internal logic goes to pieces because the Sheriff of Nottingham is never shown as being a particularly proficient soldier, which which probably is fairly accurate, actually. Um, but he's able to overpower her, and there's a very unsavoury scene, which let's not go into in the movie, which is very off for the whole rest of the tone of the film. But the point is, she suddenly forgets how to be this amazing warrior. Yeah, her ninja skills at that moment in time would have come in very useful, and it might have been quite funny seeing a woman beating up the sheriff of nottingham but uh that doesn't happen in the film uh for reasons 
<laughs> anyway, uh, we've got explosions. That wouldn't have happened. We got uh, we got uh, Robin Hood escaping on the catapult. Uh, that would have killed him. The castle, uh, they sort of run out of the keep and into another keep. This is the largest castle in the world. Um, the whole thing is a mess. The whole thing isn't really meant to be historically accurate. But there you go. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves done the neon way hope you enjoyed this one keep listening more podcast historical goodness digging deep into pop culture hope you enjoyed this one we'll meet up again soon you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volur xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.